podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing the penultimate episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Species 10C. So, we had an episode that is all about intellectual concepts and connection and communicating with an alien while the fate of worlds hangs in the balance. Really pure Star Trek stuff. Do you think the fan bros enjoyed that? No. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> not, not even a little bit. Of course they didn't. No. There was too much discussion of feelings, Liz. They stopped <laughs> to have discussions of feelings. I thought this was great. It was exactly what I've been wanting from the season. I feel like that three-episode blip earlier in, in this run of episodes mm-hmm. is over and we can come into a really good ending of the season. And I'm happy. Right. You know how we said mm. that next season is going to be a 10 episode season? Yes. I think it's notable <laughs> that there are three episodes that didn't fit in to the rest of the season. I almost wonder if we're going to learn that this was originally conceived as a 10 episode story and then they had to add three on. And I totally respect the choice to dedicate those three to character development and feelings, but it's just so, so, so unbalanced. Whereas stuff that I did not like and still have problems with, like Choose to Live, I think I can now put in context in terms of setting up stuff that's still to come in the season, i.e. what's going to happen to book. I really like your theory. Do you want to give everyone your theory? Yes. My theory is that Choose to Live was there to establish that Michael really, really believes in justice and consequences, and also to establish that Vulcan has this non-violent, non-punitive justice system. And so what's going to happen is that whatever happens to Tarka, Booker's going to turn himself over to the Federation, and he's going to spend some time, you know doing Vulcan meditation with Michael's mother and that plus whatever connection that he makes with 10C that saves them all is enough to restore Michael's trust in him and give them a new foundation to rebuild their relationship. At least I really hope that's the case and that they don't kill him off because that would make me sad. That would make everyone sad. Why would you do that? I've been angry at Book for most of the season and yet... I don't want him to be sacrificed on the altar of stakes <laughs> or making Michael sad. <laughs> fridging a black man is not actually better than fridging a woman. Just saying. Exactly. And I feel like that would be a natural conclusion to the story that they've been telling all season and would kind of make book and relationships, I'm sorry, book and Michael's relationship stronger in that Michael's relationship with Ash didn't really survive the first challenge of, well, okay, Ash was a Klingon and he tried to murder her. That's hard to overcome. But all that they could get to from that was friendship. And then she left. Whereas Book and Michael, I think they can get past this. And he is an idiot, but he has not done anything unforgivable yet. He can have his atonement. Yeah. I love the idea of choose to live existing for that yes 
because we did not care <laughs> for it otherwise. <laughs> right. It reminds me of Star Wars Rebels, which I'm just going to say, anybody who's looking forward to Kenobi, please go watch Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> it will help. I texted my flatmate and said, I, I know you're not going to watch the Kenobi trailer because she has not been able to watch a trailer since The Phantom Menace, but we are going to have to do a quick speed run of The Clone Wars and Rebels. Is this an appropriate time to mention how sad I am that they did not cast Jason Isaacs as the Inquisitor? I, I have to assume that there was some kind of contractual breakdown or they couldn't get it together in time kind of thing. I feel like he was offered, but it didn't work out. That's my theory. Okay, but if it turns out he did Good Sam instead, I'm not sure that's a choice that I would have gone with. <laughs> it's not the choice I would have made, but we don't know his life. Maybe he just wanted something simpler. He didn't want to have lightsabers in reality. You know, it was fun to do it when he was recording in his closet, but if he had to, to actually have a lightsaber, maybe it wasn't fun for him. Interesting choice, if that's the reasoning. But Star Wars Rebels did this very well, where they would have these episodes that really seemed like they had nothing to do with anything, and then all of a sudden they became very important. Yeah. And they did it over and over, and it was amazing world building and story building that I just think we should appreciate. And sometimes they were the episodes that people were like, you know, they would all call them filler. And yes, I would call yes. them character development. <laughs> and then we fought. But sometimes there were episodes that I also was like, I'm not really into this. There's way too much, you know, Jedi nonsense going on here that I don't want to care about. And then other people who love the Jedi nonsense would be into it and we would fight. But then at the end, it would all come together. And so I really like that kind of storytelling. It makes me want to rewatch things. It makes me appreciate the episodes that I don't necessarily care about because it feels like it's part of a bigger story. Yeah. And if this is what Discovery has done, then for all my complaints about the storytelling this season, I think that was a beautiful piece of work, even though I still think that Michael would not be a big fan of the carceral justice system and that I'm going to die on that hill. <laughs> That's acceptable. <laughs> so... Everyone's talking about how this is like Star Trek does Arrival. And have you seen Arrival? Because I haven't. I'm very embarrassed. I have. I have seen Arrival. And there are definitely parallels to it in that they have that linguistics expert. I've forgotten his name, but our, our little wordle, our space wordle guy. The guy that we love whose name we don't know because yes. that would just be. <laughs> so I'm going to call him Wordle. So Wordle is played by Amy Adams in, in Arrival. And Michael is played by Jeremy Renner, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, We're on Zoom, um, I'm pulling a face. <laughs> um, we could also say that the Earth president, Nodoy, could be played by Jeremy Renner. Both Michael and Nodoy are better than Jeremy Renner in every way. But <laughs> Arrival is a science fiction story that ends up being about emotions and trauma. Mm. Mm. Sounds fake. So it actually, I would say, is a good sci-fi story to ape, if that's what they wanted to do, because there are more parallels than just the math and the communication via lights and the one person who understands it, who brings in a group of other people to 
figure out how to explain it because you, you can't depend on just math or just linguistics or just storytelling. You have to have all of those together. And all of that was also in this episode. So I see the arrival parallels. And I think that if you're going to mimic a really famously intelligent movie based on an acclaimed short story, steal from the best. I love it. I love having this intellectual Star Trek episode. I, I don't want to say it's real Star Trek, but it feels very much like a confident piece of the canon that knows it has a place. And it was also very positive. Yeah. All of their interactions with 10C ended up being, you know, 10C didn't mean to kill Quajon or, or anybody. Like I said, <laughs> that wasn't part of their deal. They do have empathy. They do have curiosity. They do want to know who we are and they do want to communicate with us. So there were a lot of assumptions that were set aside and it ended up being this really positive first contact that unfortunately, because Tark is the worst, <laughs> goes a little sideways at the end. I love that this episode gave us a fresh anecdote about Sarek being terrible, that he's still not the worst because Tarka is there. Because no one can possibly be worse than Tarka. He's so... Every single time he has the opportunity to not be the worst, he chooses to be the worst. Right! It's gulducut levels of unwillingness to accept the opportunity for redemption. Speaking yes. of, Rip Skullducut, uh, we're very sad about his alternate universe death. I'm sure it was hilarious. But yeah, Taka is an interesting fellow, not because of anything intrinsic about him, but just the way there are still people, cis white men, in fandom who are willing to give him you know, let's hear him out. He really has a point. It's a big no for me. I don't want to hear him out. I do not find him interesting. I am off the Tarka train entirely. <laughs> I don't care about him. I don't care about his relationship to Oros. I don't care about him getting home. I just want him to go away. I feel at this point he is definitely doomed to die because in Star Trek, you know, you can maybe make a gesture towards destroying Kronos and get away with that. But you, you can't put Earth at risk and be redeemed. Not in Star Trek. And Navarre. And Navarre. And Discovery, the ship that the show is about. <laughs> All of the characters we care about. Does he know that there's a cat on board Discovery? You can't endanger that. He... He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than his plot to escape to an alt. It's so bad. It is the most selfish motivation possible. He is not even saving his son's life or something. He is not curing a disease. He is not changing the timeline to stop the murder of anyone. Mm. He's literally escaping the universe that is his only goal it's not even as noble as oh no my wife or lover was fridged because oros he doesn't know where oros is oros could be around the corner getting mcdonald's 
be anywhere or it could be the 10C. We don't know. It's as good a theory as any. <laughs> or Oris could be dead. Oris could be a figment of his imagination. We oh my god. No proof there was never an Oris. <laughs> I will not be shocked when he learns that Oros is dead. And yeah, maybe he was never alive to begin with. I do like that. <laughs> just be fitting for Tarka the worst. The worst. Even Goldicott is better. He has some redeeming qualities. At least has a point of view. The only person who is possibly worse is evil confederation Picard and his room full of skulls. And I feel like even he probably has a philosophy that's not just what is good for me personally as an individual. Yeah, I know we're not talking about Picard, but just since you brought it up. It was hard not to. This is related because we're discussing books atonement and mm. inadvertently we're discussing Tarka's atonement. And that he's not going to do. That he's not going to do. But I think that part of him thinks that doing this craziness is his, like, penance. Yeah. He's delusional, but I think that that's what he thinks. But I'm very, very interested in this idea that our Picard has to atone for the worst Picard's mm. actions. I'm interested in where that story is going to go. My theory is that something that Picard does while they are traveling back in time is what triggers this timeline. And, and so our Jean-Luc Picard created that Jean-Luc Picard and then he has to go back and fix it. And I'm like, Q, you could just say this. Like, just use your words. But <laughs> then it would be a very short season. And yeah, I don't want to get into Picard stuff too deep because I really enjoyed it and I have a lot of feelings about it. But it's really challenging to go from this thoughtful, I keep using the word intellectual, it's almost a little dry episode of Discovery <laughs> to the much more whiz-bang alternate universe legacy characters that we've known for decades storytelling of Picard. There's nothing wrong with either of them, but again, I wish that we were having them on separate nights. At least. Me too. But I do have to say that I was very, very impressed with how good both episodes were, given how different they were, how very tonally yes. different. They were almost in a different genre of storytelling, but both stories were very tight. There was no excess in either. Both had emotional connections. Both I was invested in both the plot and the characterizations. Yeah. And... It was just two really strong episodes that were both very Star Trek-y <laughs> and also very sci-fi. Yeah. But also very different. If that's where we're at in Star Trek world, in the universe of Star Trek, I am very excited to be here. Absolutely. And Star Trek can be so many different things. I really do enjoy that it can be so many things simultaneously. As much as Voyager and Deep Space Nine were very, very different, they still had the same costume designers, the same composers, the same overall aesthetics. 
in a way that Picard and Discovery don't. And I assume Strange New Worlds might be different again. And obviously the animated shows are their own beasts entirely. I'm very happy with the state of Star Trek right now. So we've talked about both and we've talked about Tarka. Mm. Let's talk about the other two in their side of the plot, which is Reno and Nadoya. I have always loved Jet Reno and I've always enjoyed Tignataro's presence, but I don't think she has ever acted as well as this in Discovery. She's so sad and gentle and empathetic. And it was just a great performance from someone who I've now realized is very underrated as an actor. Right. I agree. It's been a shtick until this episode. And then this episode, it was like, oh, we're giving her a plot line and a story and a, a purpose beyond yeah. her shtick. Like beyond I'm a mix of Scotty and Bones and, mm. and I'm tired <laughs> and I'm giving you these little breadcrumbs mm. of wisdom I, I think Tegan Acharo has a presence, but yes. I agree that she hasn't been acting. And the older, only other time that I saw her acting was when she had that scene with Hugh where she first brought up her wife. Yes. And so I, I like that there's that connection as well, that when there are personal stakes for the character, she gets to shine. Yeah, a lot of the time it does feel like she is basically playing Tignataro in space. Yes. And so whenever Jet gets to be more than that, Tig Nataro really shines. And I love learning more about her. I love learning about this desperate attempt to save this ensign who subconsciously reminded her of her wife. And, and that she had lost her wife early enough in the war that she took this posting and then was stranded for most of it. Her wife must have died at the Battle of the Binary Stars, and yet she has no problem with Michael. That says, you know, what a great big-hearted person she is deep down don't tell anyone i also think it aligns her with the discovery and their mm. constant every time i try to get away from my self and my trauma i end up in even worse <laughs> position than i started in it's almost as if avoiding your trauma is bad oops hmm. Hmm. fake news that might be something that's a theme in discovery interesting that those fan bros we were talking about mm. don't want to hear it does feel like we were talking about this earlier in the week that so much of an audience right now seems to be really against the idea of emotional driven storytelling and it feels like everyone is traumatized and a lot of people have adopted a flat affect to cope with it and they think that they're the ones who are okay. And I totally get that. I spend many, many hours pretending I don't have feelings. But feelings are a thing and we have to put up with them, unfortunately. Even in our storytelling. I have seen a lot of comments in this argument that have brought up the idea of escapism. Mm. And that they don't... So I think that you're right. That there is a cohort of people who aren't able to address the trauma in their own lives. And you just put that out there. Every single person on earth right now is going through a trauma. Yeah. And has been for years. Yeah, it's not even just with the pandemic. It, regardless of where you are or what you've personally been dealing with, 
globally, <laughs> we have been traumatized. So I understand that there are people who don't have the, the bandwidth to address any of that and are trying to use something like Star Trek as an escape. So they don't want to be presented with it. But for me, mm. my version of escapism is actually escaping into a story about dealing with trauma so that I build up my own ability to deal with my trauma. I don't even do anything as sophisticated as that. I just like to deal with other people's fictional emotions instead of my own. I will say at the same time, we have a lot of stories that are basically about trauma right now, particularly in popular culture. You know, WandaVision is the obvious one, but even something like Yellow Jackets, which does it on a horror level, or the most recent Spider-Man movie. And so I do understand that there is also going to be a backlash against every story being about trauma. And trauma is not the only emotional experience that we should be exploring through fiction. So I completely understand if people are kind of like, every story is about trauma and I'm getting a little bored with that and I want something different. But at the same time, Discovery is not just dealing with trauma. They're dealing with... Saru's new love and Michael's frustration as her boyfriend disappoints her. I think that that is the other problem is that they are lumping the idea of any emotion yeah. as being a negative traumatic emotion or dealing with anxiety. But they're saying like, oh, Saru is anxious about his relationship with with. Sharina, and therefore he's dealing with anxiety, and so is Michael and Hugh, who are dealing with a completely different kind of anxiety. Book is a is a great representation, although I continue to believe that he's a terrible representation <laughs> of, of being traumatized. However, he is dealing with a completely different kind of anxiety that Saru is dealing with, and one is very trauma based, and the other is much more mundane. Right, and Saru's trauma, uh, Saru's trauma, tr Saru's anxiety is in a way very positive. He is taking this new step, he is building a new relationship and he is learning new things and he is nervous because he cares about Tarina and he doesn't want to hurt her and he doesn't want to be hurt. They can be negative but in this iteration I think they're very positive feelings. Right. So emotions aren't bad. That's that's the, the bottom line. Emotions aren't bad. I definitely feel like a lot of these guys would be looking at Data's quest to feel emotions through the seven years of the next generation and going, hmm, seems fake. As an android, he is already the highest possible form of life. Unrealistic. Plot hole. Zero stars. Spock too. Spock's entire characterization is based on what emotions do I want to feel and when. And, and how do I deal with them in a healthy way? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And that was way back in the 60s. So, yeah, I think it's in part toxic masculinity and also a response to the events of the last few years and a genuine desire to step back and distance oneself from emotions because they think that will make life easier. And I think they're wrong, but I understand the urge. And it's something they can control. 
Yeah, yeah. But also, they're also being asked to empathise with the emotions of black women and men who are not very masculine. And obviously, for some people in fandom, that is also a problem. But yeah. And it's also worth noting that for all the whiz-bang AU nonsense happening in Picard, that is also a series whose premiere episode for this season started basically with a whole lot of conversations about his personal life and his feelings and why is Picard bad at romance so and it's clear that relationships are very important to the story that they're telling in Picard because every single person in it is in a relationship that is in a certain upheaval except for Soji whose boyfriend was literally forgotten last season and now she seems to be sidelined as a regular let's talk about she... that in a couple of weeks <laughs> so Nadoya is yes. the, the, <laughs> the final of our four people who are in that grouping and I feel pretty bad for her say. but I also have that sort of same why are you doing this <laughs> The show has not sold me on her motivations as it could have to make me believe in why she's doing the things she's doing. But I also think that she's definitely been manipulated by Targa the worst. The worst. Also, I think she is acting out of fear that Earth will end up like Quajon. And fear as much as grief is a really negative and damaging emotion if you give into it. And I enjoy how she tries to walk that middle line. I don't know if you noticed at the end when Rilok invites her to join them in the orb, which is then pondered by 10C. Indoya says no, and then she takes Tarina aside and has a quiet word with her. And so I wonder if Tarina has been let in on mm. Taka's plans Interesting. and is going to take some action next week. I don't know. I'm curious. I like Endoya. I want to see the consequences for her because I think they're going to be a lot more punitive if they come from the Earth government than the Federation. But who knows? Maybe she can seek asylum with the Federation and go, hey, I totally messed up. Can you help me be better? Because I feel like Earth seems like a not very healthy place right now, just from the little we've seen of it. Right, which is why... She's acting the way she's acting. Yeah. It's a Seska situation where... That must make she, me very happy. She was raised <laughs> in this way, and the, this is the only way she knows how to deal with it. I'm more interested in her reasons than in her actions, I guess. Her actions feel very, we needed somebody over here to do this, and so we got her. <laughs> but I think it's going somewhere. And I, I definitely want someone to double cross Tark. Oh my gosh. Someone, please. please. <laughs> when is Grudge going to come in and be like, okay, you shot my human. You also took him away from me. Let's talk. Claws out. <laughs> Grudge will save us all. So the other foursome is on the orb. Yes. Michael, Saru, Tarina, and Rillick really fun double date i'm just putting that out there for our friend uss jellyfish who is the og michael tarina shipper and who had some notes Rillick, michael Rillick. oh my god michael Rillick shipper <laughs> and who had some notes about our vets Rillick shipping a couple of weeks ago 
we hear you, we acknowledge you, you are valid. It is a great ship. <laughs> I mean, I'm super angry at book right now, so <laughs> let's, let's go. We don't know what kind of parameters for monogamy Rilla has with her partner, so, you know, what better time? Maybe Earth will be destroyed. I didn't mean that, but... <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> but they are fun. I liked that it was three badass women in Saru. Yes. <laughs> that was fun for me. And that they each had a reason to go into the orb, to trust Tensi's intentions, to believe in their mission. Yes. But they also each had a reason to be scared and not sure if it was going to work out and have to think about the consequences. It was a well-balanced presentation it of was. those feelings instead yeah. of just being, yeah, I'm going to go be the first person to meet the 10C. <laughs> I would say when Rilik tells the linguistics guy that he has to stay behind, my flatmate turned to me and said, that would be my origin story. So... <laughs> Let's just wait until season five when Wordle Guy is the big bad. It was a little strange. It's sort of like, didn't we bring him along specifically to do this? I just figure you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. I personally would leave the president behind right. and send the underling who's a specialist. But what do I know? It was strange. Rillick seemed to be doing the, I'm going to be the first person to meet the 10 <laughs> And I've let the presidency come to my head. But I don't think that that's true. I don't think that was actually her motivation. But I don't really fully understand why she sent him behind. But I agree with your flatmate that it's like, man, that's his life. <laughs> Remember how last week I was saying that Michael got to use her PhD? He is not getting to use his PhD. <laughs> He is being told that it was a poor choice on his part to go for that particular degree. Aww. And that's been said to me, so I feel for him. But okay, so uh, when it came out and it was like the arm. Yeah. And it, like, it was very much like The Abyss. Have you seen The Abyss? The 90s James Cameron movie. <laughs> I've seen um, the video in the video store. That's as close as I got. Well, it's about aliens mm. who are giant and who control water. And the effects, that space bending effect was very reminiscent of the Abyss. Like with the arrival, it felt like, because in the Abyss, they can't use language. And so the aliens use the news. They use television bits and pieces oh. of television to explain what they're saying and recordings and that's how they end up having a quote-unquote conversation i like that they are sort of hearkening back to these old school or new school the rival isn't old but the story is but anyway that we were getting different versions of how to communicate with someone that you can't communicate with Yes. And, and like Easter eggs. Easter eggs for me. <laughs> Specifically for me. I guess rather than saying it's a ripoff or it's derivative, I think it's definitely conscious of the stories that have gone before and, and building on them. 
assisting from season one of Picard, where I really was increasingly like, I don't think anyone here has consumed any science fiction made in this century. I, I feel like this year's writers for Discovery are very sci-fi literate. And they want to tell this really exciting, very sci-fi story about being unable to communicate because yes. the Universal Translator really takes that away from all of Star Trek. Yeah, you could not tell this story with a more humanoid alien because it would seem silly, given the technology available to them. Apparently, Mohammed Noor consulted a lot on like the biology of the Tensi and how they communicate with their hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons? Yes. And he and Jane mm -hmm. Brooke are doing another series of YouTube videos looking at the biology of each episode of Discovery. So I feel like it's going to get fun towards the end. I'm going to learn yes. some stuff. I'm going to do some science. <laughs> I love the puzzle stuff in this episode. Because... Yeah. So, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. <laughs> so I, I've played Dungeons and Dragons and I really don't like the combat mm. and you know traps and <laughs> that kind of stuff that is in Dungeons and Dragons but I've played these amazing mazes like here in a labyrinth and you get to a certain place and you're in a room that has four walls and you have to it's like a escape room you know yeah. you have to solve the puzzle in order to get out of the room and I loved those and what was fun is that some of the rooms were like you have to beat something and some of the rooms where you have to find something and some are the rooms where you have these puzzles and so each of us in our party we each like the real person had a talent and mine was puzzles and i got so excited whenever we would get into one of those rooms i would like <laughs> grab it and i would start putting in my little you know because i had the key eventually yeah. but you know and so I, I started putting it all in and i would just felt like that you know, that was 20 something years ago, but I remember it as the best time I ever played Dungeons and Dragons or any role playing game at all, because it was something that I was good at, that I could contribute. I didn't have to ask anybody mm. what I was supposed to be doing <laughs> or I sound like I'm not a disco plays D&D person. <laughs> which is true <laughs> but I've never played Dungeons and Dragons I've just never had the opportunity though I could go out and like find one of those parties for beginners and meet people anyway but I play a lot of video games and I am so 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 bad at puzzles I really struggle with puzzles quite often have to use cheats but if I get them by myself there is this tremendous sense of satisfaction and I had that all through this episode there was the right. satisfaction of a puzzle being solved and also the tension of knowing that first Taka is existing and being the worst and going to ruin it all but also that if they fail the stakes are very high but it was also that elation that it was working and that they yes. were communicating and that they had found common ground and that they realized that they didn't mean to hurt them and there yes. was this possibility for a diplomatic solution like all of that that's where like finally the tension and the stakes were right along with you because we knew that Tarka was doing all of this we knew that they had less time than they thought and there was so much going on like the whole side plot with Adira realizing that Reno is gone and trying to find them and the engineering crew and Zora knowing that something was wrong but not being able to articulate it 
all of that was happening. And so there was this real race to see what was going to happen. Were Book and, and Reno going to be able to overtake Tarka? Were Paul and Hugh and Adira and Zora going to figure out what was going on on the ship? Were Michael and Tarina and Saru and Rillick going to be able to breach the conversation and stop everything in time for Tarka mm. to realize it was happening. There was so much going on and there was so much tension. And it really, it was a great penultimate episode because by the end of it, I was really, really ready for the finale. Absolutely. And then it ended and I was like, what the fuck? There's so much more to go. Whereas usually I'm watching television and I have a very strong sense of time passing and okay, we're within five minutes of the ending. It's wrapping up. There was none of that. I had no sense of time passing. It just all flew at me at once. It was amazing and a little overwhelming. And then I went and watched the card. So that was a choice. (laughs) Because Picard had the same relentless pace, which... And the same, whoops, we're we're not going to tell you anything. Cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. I am concerned, given that there is so much story left to be told, that it's not going to get wrapped up in the final episode and we're going to go back to... A cliffhanger. And not, yeah, a cliffhanger and not a a happy, Mm. uh, stable ending. (laughs) I'm concerned. (laughs) I have concerns. Yeah, the trailer for this second half of the season included Vance and Tilly. Oh, no, it was Kovic and Tilly. But either way, it was a scene we have not seen yet. And that means that the threat is going to come to Federation headquarters. And I'm like, but I just want them to, like, apologise to the 10C and chuck Tarka out of an airlock by way of apology and then everything's good. I think they can wrap it up in an hour, but not your standard 45-minute Someone suggested that Discovery is going to get lost and wherever, that that's going to happen, and mm. that Tilly was left behind specifically so that someone we know is, like, we get to see her reaction as the person oh. back having lost Discovery. <laughs> now I'm terrified. <laughs> I was like, no, no, bad. <laughs> I've seen that theory too. And Kovic said something about a three-hour tour and apparently that's a Gilligan's Island reference. Yes. And maybe it is going to end with, you know, Discovery like Voyager is lost and has to find its way home and that's season five. I think that would be really cool, but I would like it best if you're right that Tilly has been left behind as a connection with home. And that she will play a bigger role in season five, even if she's not a regular. I want that. I want her to be back. But, and also I don't want to lose the connection. Now that we found the Federation, I don't want to lose it again. Agreed. Like, I don't want to do that again. And I don't want to rehash Voyager. I do think it could be interesting to have how does Discovery and the 10C work together Mm. to fix the universe and then get back to wherever they need to go. That could be interesting, but I don't want just lost. The idea of them being trapped and isolated somewhere and having to find their way home, Janeway style, but instead of the Marquis, they have the Federation leadership (laughs) and the Navara leadership and this Earth General on board. That, that would be amazing. It's like, do you have the choice if we could create our own new federation? <laughs> like a mini one. Mm. Mm. 
But it's also who's in charge, who's in charge in that situation, <laughs> because Earth isn't even a part of the Federation. So they right. don't have to listen to the Federation president if they don't want to. And there's a lot that could happen there. It's very interesting. And obviously it's Michael's ship and Michael should be in charge, but also she has a bunch of people who are like even Saru is actually her equal, right? So it's very interesting. The dynamics are not like Voyager at all, which mm -hmm. would be really, really cool. And obviously I think this could only last for a season, but that could be a really fun season. Now I'm wondering if at the end of Discovery, we're going to look back and we're going to say each season was an homage to a different Star Trek that came before. Oh, that's interesting. The Greatest Generation guys talk about Star Trek is a place. Star Trek is a place where you can tell all sorts of different stories. So you have your war story and your AI conspiracy X-Files-y story and then your far future SF and then your alien contact arrival and then mm -hmm. this. That is really cool. Yeah. I think it could be fun. Yeah. Okay, season one is Yesterday's Enterprise. Season <laughs> two is, I want to say, the Section 31 episodes from Deep Space Nine, but also the lore episodes from TNG. Season three is Enterprise. Definitely. Season four is one of those boring, highly acclaimed episodes that everyone loves and I think are fine. And Doomsday Machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the devil. Oh my God, this season is the devil in the dark. It is the devil in yeah. the dark. They even had eggs and, and like, yeah. I, I did wonder why they didn't just send Tarina out to mind melt with a 10C. But... Okay, so obviously if we're going to jump to wild speculation for, for the finale, Please. then I've been saying all season that Book's empathy and ability to sort of mind meld with creatures, specifically with creatures, Book's creature sensitivity, let's call it, is going to come into play and that that yes. is going to be important and that he is going to be doing something to the 10C and that is going to be part of the big climax. And I, I still think that that is true. I have always agreed with you. And then while I was watching the other night, I was like, wait, 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 Tarina is Vulcan. Right. So now I'm curious if, you know, it's been a thousand years and... They've changed, they've mm. merged back with the Romulans. And so maybe it isn't her go-to. Maybe mind melding isn't something that you do for communication. She mind melded with Book earlier this season. So we know she can and we know she will. But Book is someone that's like- uh, She knows. I don't know. Yeah, it could be like a intimacy thing. It could also be like, Maybe they will merge their powers and become a sort of captain planet of telepathy. Like this whole episode, literally the entire episode, I was going, why isn't Sharina mind melding? Why isn't she attempting any mental communication at all? Why <laughs> is it not even being raised and rejected as a possibility? Yeah. Right. So it's either they forgot <laughs> Or it was just too inconvenient to put that in there, or that it's actually a plot point. So yeah, I feel like it's more going to be not that they forgot, but that they wanted it to be book, and so they conveniently left that out. 
but mm-hmm. I think it would have been better if they didn't, like you said, have her mind melding earlier. Yeah. Because then it could be something that was not lost because it, it takes longer than a thousand years to lose something like that, but changed. Maybe they've reverted to the Vulcan culture, cultural mores of enterprise and they're very or she, I mean, she could hesitant. even say, I can't do it without touching someone. Literally a four word explanation could have happened here that would have made it. But I just think that the idea that she's not attempting it at all, that they don't have any betazoids out here, that they don't have anybody with yeah. any kind of telepathy trying to do any of that. It just seems like you would, you know, they don't do it in Arrival because, spoilers, ESP doesn't actually exist. <laughs> Real humans are incapable of mentally talking to aliens. However, in the Star Trek reality, they can't. <laughs> This reminds me of something that's been bugging me for weeks. The name 10C was reminding me of something. And finally, I figured out that in the Vorkosigan series by Lois McMaster Bujold, which I read a few months ago, there is a genetically engineered compound called Terran C, which is the artificial human gene for telepathy and all the governments want it. And 10C, Terran C... It's, it's been bugging me. And then you pointed out correctly that humans do not have telepathy. And I was like, yes, yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying. No. But in Star Trek, Vulcans definitely do. Betazoids definitely do. Even some humans uh, There's do. a whole bunch of aliens that have telepathy. And yes, even humans do. There's the trill. Like, there's a lot of aliens that could communicate in ways that are different. Mm from language and none of those are here yeah it's interesting that we even moved gray off the ship before we made this trip i wouldn't have thought of the trill as being the first go-to for communication here but the humanoid trill must have at some point made contact with the symbiont trill and gray is training to be a a guardian so (laughs) he's a guardian it it was smart to get him off the ship because then it was like we don't have that that Mm. we don't have him here but they specifically kept Tarita and she is not using her mental powers. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to be a thing next week and that she and Book can augment each other and I know I use that Captain Planet analogy, but strengthen each other's powers to a point where combined they can communicate with the Tennessee. Oh, you know what? Yes? Sailor Moon does this. Oh. And I 100% want it to happen now because I want all of them. I want Saru's weird abilities to come into play. Mm. I want Michael's Vulcan upbringing to come into play. I want this to actually end up being a Captain Planet Sailor Moon. Everybody use your empathy Mm. to power the message that's going to be like oops sorry we do not take responsibility for that guy (laughs) he is not with us therefore we will not hold you responsible for what you did to us yeah actually (laughs) actually actually that's the other thing about the aftermath of choose to live michael has to accept that 
it's okay to turn someone over to an alien justice system. And maybe that means Book goes to Vulcan, sorry, Navarre, but Taka goes to wherever bad 10 Cs go. An orb, I assume. <laughs> An orb. And I know, I know that we have spent much of this season calling for prison abolition, and I have to out myself as a massive hypocrite because I would like to see Taka in some kind of terrible alien jail purely because he annoys me. I don't know what I want. I'm so completely disinterested in Tarka that I don't want anything for him. I guess what I want for him... Okay, so Star Trek Beyond is my favorite of the 2009 Kelvin verse. Yes, because it's the best. Because it's the best, but it's imperfect Mm -hmm. because at the very end, Idris Elba doesn't ever come to the realization that he's wrong. (laughs) And there is an opportunity when Kirk is risking it all to save the station and he's still fighting off Idris Elba. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. And there is an opportunity for Elba to see what's happening and to help Kirk and then die. Yeah. And again, this is another like forward change. It would be so easy for that to happen. And that would have been more of a positive Star Trekky ending. And also less of a waste of Idris Elba, who exactly had a very interesting role, but also as an actor, he was massively underused and spent most of it under a pile of makeup. I just think it could have been a more performance. And obviously, of course, I would want him to not die, but to own up and have a conversation about I was abandoned by the Federation and so this is what I turned into Mm. and now I'm going to help the Federation make sure that doesn't happen to anybody else that would have been a better ending for me like just you know putting it out there and so that's what I want for Tarka as well I want Tarka to have the opportunity to help the Federation Mm. slash discovery slash book slash 10c and do it and then have to atone and be given the opportunity to, you know, I don't want him to go to prison. I want him to be a better person. (laughs) I want him to turn into a better person. I have never said this before, but I would be completely okay with a redemption by death for Taka. Because yes, it's a cop out and I don't think he really deserves it, but also it would get him out of the way and we never have to talk about him again. I just think it would be a better ending than I don't want him to die as he's lived because that's the Idris Elba. That's like, I, yeah, that's yeah. not a resolution. I, that's just an ending and it's realistic, I guess. But I don't like, this is where I want escapism. I don't want people to be so one dimensional. I don't want people's motivations to be so boring. And so I would rather there be a redemption by death or atonement by prison or a trial or even he joins the 10C and like becomes some kind of weird ambassador (laughs) thing (laughs) that lives in alien space. I don't know. He merges with Zora (laughs) and (laughs) becomes something else. But... I want him to acknowledge that he's wrong. 
Yeah. I almost wonder if it wouldn't be a good ending for him to just get everything he wants. He goes to the other universe and it's fine and Oros is there and then he realises that he has to live every day of his life and it's going to be really boring and he's done these terrible things and he has to deal with that and then he's out of our hair. Yeah, like, fine. He gets everything he wants, but he is changed by it. He realizes what, like, I I just really think, again, he is so completely set on this. And he does have that moment, that tiny moment where he admits that he is trying to be friends with Book. That you were right! He truly cares about him, that he wanted that relationship he had with Oros again. Yeah, and. Yeah. And yet he betrayed it. Mm. And so, like, I want him to realize the harm in that and to feel it. And even if he gets everything he wants and is just unsatisfied, I don't know. I agree with you that I just don't want Tarku to be around anymore, but I don't want him to just end up delusional and evil and pointless. Because then why did we spend all of these episodes on him? That's it. I want to justify the amount of time we've spent with him without spending more time with him. My final wild speculation is Zora. Mm. Zora is definitely moving towards I'm going to be a person, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We, have to, we have to be believing that at some point Zora is going to at the least get a partial like holographic body or something. Sometimes she's a computer and sometimes she's a person because... She's just become more and more of a presence. And it's weird for her to be the ship. We've seen that she has these vulnerabilities as part of the ship in that she actually can't see everything. Mm -hmm. like all of her perceptions are through her senses and her senses can actually be fooled pretty easily. And that's dangerous for her. And it's also dangerous for the ship. Yeah. Like a normal ship, <laughs> you do a diagnostic on it and a little red thing lights up and says this is a problem but if they're leaving that diagnostics to Zora because she's a sentient being who can do her own thing and they're trusting her to know what's going on I mean and it worked because she did bring it up and say hey something's wrong with me <laughs> you guys got to fix it I'm not saying that that's the wrong plan but it does end up being like just a few episodes ago, she was holding information hostage and, yeah. and not moving along the mission. So it's a problem for her to be in the ship. I think that's kind of what Starfleet was arguing a few weeks ago. And I get that. But I think if she had a body, even a holographic body, at the very least, she wouldn't be just the ship. And she would have an opportunity to empathize with her human crew members as a human-shaped being. And I think mm -hmm. that would really fix a lot of those problems that she is just becoming aware of. And also I think it would be cool in, in terms of, you know, we have the Rios holograms on La Serena and we have the Janeway hologram and then the Zora hologram as sort of the natural next step. Yes. I think it'd be great. So I don't know if it's going to be next episode, but we're definitely building towards Zora being a part of the crew and not the ship. 
And if they get trapped outside the galaxy for a while and they don't have Tilly and they don't have Grey, I know they have all the delegates, but they have a little bit of space for another recurring character. Especially if they also don't have Tarka. Let's replace Tarka with a nice lady. I do like that Linus is now on the bridge. Yes. Okay. I loved the bridge crew contributing to the communications and especially one of the things we know about Nilsson that is not actually set on screen but has been said behind the scenes is that she was a ballet dancer and then she was injured and that's when she joined Starfleet. So her comparison to music felt really natural to me even though if you didn't know this thing about her being a dancer then it would still be a nice character point for her. Oh, also, the very beginning of the episode, they had the eye, so they, yes. they had the 10C, and then they went to Owoshikun's oh, oh, eye, yes. and then they went to, like, Reese, and and when they got to Nielsen, poor Nielsen, I was like, ah! Oh, Nielsen's eyes. I'm so sorry. No. I, I'm, I'm starting to feel bad about my Nielsen hate, but I still had a, like, absolute, like, ugh! No, we got to Nilsson and my flatmate yelled, Who are you? <laughs> but this is just one other thing that I've been saying from the very beginning is that the tendency looks like an eye and therefore yeah. it's important. Yeah. <laughs> so just want to say. Greg lives. Sort of. <laughs> Let us wrap up. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, all at antimatterpod. And write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. Send us your thoughts. (laughs) If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we will be discussing the fourth season finale of Star Trek Discovery. And also going on a Borg Queen road trip. (laughs) I would always choose the Borg Queen road trip. Absolutely.